Isaiah chapter 58. One of the things we're going to see in our study today is that God wants to make our prayer life more effective. And so you might wonder, well, well, how? How, how can that be? Is there a certain formula? Um, how does it work? Because the last thing in the world that you want is a weak prayer life. And I will tell you this, that there will be a battle for your prayer life. If there, there's one thing, if the enemy can pinpoint one thing that he would want you to be anemic in, that is your prayer life. Uh, you go to Bible studies, you serve in ministry, whatever, you're preaching, you're doing all those good things, but you're not praying, then there's not an effective prayer life. You're going to be missing out on so much. And so we're going to see today how God, you know, wants us to have an effective prayer life. And, you know, the, 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 just to give you like the, the heads up that, that ultimately what he's going to say is that your life needs to be right. Your life needs to be right. And, and as your life is right, not just religion, not just right, not just routine, but, but heart right, then you watch what happens with your prayer life. We, we see that. Look what he says in, in Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me every day and delight to know my ways as a nation that, that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice and they take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, God says, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Now, now it's interesting what we read here, and hopefully we don't like tune out. God is telling Isaiah, what I want you to do is I want you to say this loud. I want it to be like a trumpet. I want you as a preacher to tell the people their sins. Now, some people don't like that. They don't like it when they go to church service or listen to a Bible study or whatever, and, you know, the guy points out, you know, our sins. But here we see how important it is, how God wanted Isaiah to speak it in such a way that everyone would hear, you know, basically shouting it from the mountaintops, the transgressions, the sins, the iniquities of Israel. In this case, he identifies there, there in verse 1 as Jacob. And, you know, I don't know if you guys are okay with that. I, I pray that you would be. I pray that we would have a heart that would always say, Lord, if there's any sin in my life, please put your finger on it. Please, God, identify whatever the sin is. You know, let's just say you have sins in your life that are blind spots that you don't see. How many of you here would appreciate it if God pointed them out? Uh, sometimes he, he uses your wife, you know, to, to, to do that. <laughs> You're like, no, Lord, anything but that. I'm just joking. You know, but it's, it's true. God says, Isaiah, I want, you to, I want you to say it loud. I want you to be like a trumpet. I was thinking of that passage in Psalm 139 in verse 23 and 24 where, where David said, Search me, O God, and know my 
my heart. Try me and, and know my anxieties or my concerns and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know that you would pray that prayer. God, is there anything in this or any wicked way in me that's getting in the way of the work that you want to do? You know, and that God would tell us. The other day I was uh, with my daughter uh, helping her wash her car and we whipped out this brand new vacuum that we got from Bed Bath & Beyond and it was I was excited about it because it was one of those little handheld vacuums. Usually when we wash the car, I bring out the big vacuum from inside and you have to plug it in and, and this one was cordless. And it was so cool when we started on the, front, on the, on the right side, man, that thing was picking everything up. I'm like, man, this is so cool. But then we went to the left side, it wasn't working. It was like not picking anything up. And I, and I was like, man, don't you hate it when you, have to, when you buy something and then you have to take it back? Don't you hate that? And that's what I was thinking. I said, man, we've got to take it back. But I guess what had happened is that her car was so like dirty on this side that no, it wasn't that bad. It probably wasn't her fault. But um, what had happened was the thing got clogged so much that I had to open it up and clean it out. And then I was like, wow, it does work. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of how it is with, with sin. You know, sin will get in the way of this powerful work that God wants to do in and through our lives. And my, my prayer is like, Lord, show me those things that I'm doing, that I'm not doing, that are not pleasing to you. Because, you know, sometimes we think, and I might think as a pastor that I'm okay because I'm a pastor and I teach, you know, three Bible studies a week and, you know, whatever. I do counseling and, and just different things. You know, you go to church and you go through your routines and don't get me wrong. All those things are good. All those things are necessary. Pray, read your Bible you know, go to church service, serve the Lord. But, but if it's just that and we're not living the life, then we're going to be in trouble. This is what was happening with Israel. Um, they as a nation were going through all the religious motions. Um, they were doing it every single day. They wanted to grow in their knowledge of the Bible. But unfortunately, it was just head knowledge. They went to the temple, they prayed, they even fasted. How many of us here would, would be honest and you haven't fasted? No, these people were so religiously committed that they fasted, but it didn't do any good because their behavior was bad. And you're like, man, I want that person to get saved. I want my loved one to get saved. I want God to do this in the ministry. And you're fasting for it. And you're like, man, but it's not happening. Now, sometimes it's a matter of timing. Um, but sometimes it's because our heart's not right. And that's what was going on with Israel. They were asking God. They were complaining to God. I don't get it. We've sacrificed and afflicted our souls and fasted, but you don't even notice. And you're not answering our prayers. And, and God tells them why. There at the end of verse 3, it's because you're fasting to please yourselves. And even while you fast, you're oppressing your workers. 
And we're going to see that these guys, uh, the society as a whole, um, they were not just, uh, they were not fair. Look what it says in verse 4. Indeed, you fast. It says, uh, for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. And I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. Imagine that. You're fasting, but you're also fighting. And you and your wife. And you expect God to move? You and your husband. You and your children. And you want God to move? And there's strife. There's arguments. There's all these things that are going on. You're really doing it just to to please yourself. You know, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't make it seem, well, God doesn't want me to fast. Yes, I think he does. And he has to show you the details on, on how you're supposed to fast. I think it's good to fast because when you fast, you say no to your flesh. When you fast, um, you end up becoming more spiritually sensitive. As a matter of fact, I was wondering if you could turn to Matthew 6. And some of you are familiar with this passage. But remember, Matthew 6, the the Pharisees were doing pretty much what Isaiah was saying. And and so the Lord says in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, Moreover, he says, when you fast. So he doesn't say if you fast. He says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sour countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place, and notice, and your father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. You know, and here we know the the Pharisees, they were doing it to be seen by people. They wanted to impress others. Look at how much I'm fasting. Um, And so that's a little different perhaps than what we're reading in Isaiah But it's the same as far as what Jesus said. He says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. They're fasting, but they're fighting. Their heart's not right. And God wants us to fast, and only the Lord can tell you the details on that. But you have to make sure that we're not just engaged in religious activity Um, None of us are perfect. We will never be perfect until we're in heaven. But let there be a sincere love inside of us for God and for people. And let there be a sincere desire to be pure. And as we're there and we're fasting or doing things and God's going to bless. You know, the Israelites, unfortunately, tragically, they were not doing that. And so God said... (laughs) It's not going to do any good. As a matter of fact, look what God says in verse 5. He answers their question with a question. He says, is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? 
Is it to bow down his head like a, a bulrush? And you can picture one of those plants with a heavy head, you know, bowed down. Is that impressive to God? And to spread out sackcloth and, and ashes. Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? And it's a, it's a rhetorical question. It's, it's a no, right? That's not God's choice. That's not God's fast. It's unacceptable to him. He says in verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Or as one translation says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. You know, what would you guys say is better? Depriving yourself of food for a day or feeding someone who has no food? The latter, right? Those who are malnourished. There are some out there who are starving. You know, if we want to bless and impress God, we need to remember that love is a verb, that true religion includes benevolent action. It's very easy just to live my life. I'm just narrow-minded and, and forget about all the needs that are out there. That's why in Matthew 25, Jesus, when he was talking to those who were entering into the millennial kingdom, it, it, were, the, it were the people that, that fed the hungry, that gave water to the thirsty, that clothed the naked, that gave shelter to the homeless. There were those who visited the sick, visited those in prison. He said, come, enter into the kingdom. It's prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. And they were like, well, Lord, when did we do that? And he said, whenever you've done this to the least of these, then you've done it unto me. And that doesn't mean that the good works save you. It just means that the good works show you're saved. And so we have to have like an understanding of, of church and Christianity and life as a Christian beyond, you know, the religious things. There's a whole world that needs to experience that love. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you... Cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. You know, one of the things that we saw that was prevalent in the early days of the Calvary Chapel movement is that, man, they would just bring people, you know, to live with them. You know, it was kind of like the whole hippie atmosphere. Now, nowadays, uh, it's, it's probably a little different. You need to be careful with things like that. But you, you still need to have a heart you know, for the homeless and those who need food. And we need to ask God, how can we help? And sometimes there are individuals that we do need to take in. You know, God God will show you. But, you know, the, the love and the faith, it is demonstrated in action. And so God will bring people into your path. Remember when, you know, the lawyer asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the Lord said, well, who's my neighbor? 
And that's when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan of all people who helped the individual that was set in front of him. And so I would just say this, keep your eyes open, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he will show you those that he wants you to love like that. Because that's true Christianity. You know, John wrote in 1 John three seventeen through 18, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And as we start like living like this, if we start loving like this, power will come. You know, power. Look what he says in verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing. Some of us need healing. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I mean, look at some of the, the results of this life. I mean, he talks about spiritual illumination. You know, he talks about um, uh, spiritual medication. That's healing, right? I mean, he talks about um, uh, the, 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 the protection, how the glory of the Lord will be your, your rear guard. I mean, it's a completely different life. I mean, what, what, who knows what's going on in, in some people's lives where, like, in one sense, the walls are broken down, and then in one sense, there's no protection, and demons are having a field day with them. And God says one way to build up that protection is to love like this. It says in verse 9, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall be dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as as the noonday in other words like there won't be any darkness you know if you if we catch the vision understanding and i and i think a lot of you guys know this because you've been you know raised in the right atmosphere but it's not just the superficial stuff it's when god meddles with the middle i really do love god it's not just me checking off my list. I read, I prayed, I went to church, and I served. No, it's, I love you, God. Lead me. I want to help others. I want to love others. I want to be used by you, Lord, in their life. And then God says, okay, now when you pray, it'll be different. It'll be different. Sometimes people ask, well, you know, they were asking God, well, why aren't you answering? God, why aren't you answering? And God's saying, well, this is why. And, and when we start and we catch that vision, then it's just a different, it's a different life. It's interesting what he says right here, that the pointing of the finger. You guys remember Romaine? How many of you guys remember Romaine? He was Pastor Chuck's assistant. He would say, whenever you point the finger, there are three pointing back at you. And it's true. Sometimes we do that as a church. We're pointing at them. They're so bad. They're so bad. Well, that makes you so bad. (laughs) 
Because that's what he says next, not just pointing the finger, but speaking wickedness. I will tell you guys, I, I pray the fear of God over your life. Never say things that you shouldn't say about God's people. Be careful with the, the wickedness that we speak. Could you honestly say those things in the presence of Jesus? I mean, right here he's saying, these are things that we have to get right. When we do, and he's talking about you know feeding the hungry and just all this, then this light is so bright. Look, Notice in verse 11, the direction the Lord will will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in, in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you shall build the old waste places and you shall raise up the foundation of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I mean, just the beautiful promise, you guys. Again, like I said, none of us are perfect, but we want to be proper. We want to be sincere. We want to be genuine, not plastic, not posers. We really want to be right with God. And God says, if, if that's you, then I will guide you and I will satisfy you and I will strengthen you and I will water you with the Holy Spirit. And there will be some among you. And like, you know, we have amazing people and the ministry, the nursery, and the children's ministry, and the youth ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, just all these different ministries are pouring into people because they're just faithful. And, and, and he says right there, and then there's going to be some from among you who they bring like a revival where it was broken at one time and then they restore the, the streets and they repair the breach. That's what's going to happen. Isaiah then goes on to point out the fact that they hadn't really kept the Sabbath day. He says in verse 13, And if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, here it is again, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, like we shared, shared last week, the Sabbath was in one sense a sign that Israel was God's nation, and that was something between them and God. And I like the Sabbath because I like naps. I, I like rest, to be honest. As a pastor, it's a little different. Yeah, my Sabbaths, I mean, are kind of like every day I come to work because I get to see God. And just, it's not like you guys out there digging holes and working hard. And so it's different, you know. But I know a lot of you would benefit from this. Now, it's not a New Testament mandate. But um, it's a good practice, and that's between you and the Lord. The Bible says some esteem one day above another. Others esteem every day alike. It's a personal conviction when it comes to the Sabbath now. 
But back then, it was huge. And they were taking the day that belonged to God and they were using it for their own pleasures. And so God is just calling them back to where they needed to be. God holds out the promise. And he said, if you do these things, then you're going to end up living like the high life and not, you know, rich. Got nothing to do with money. It has to do with living above like the valleys of darkness. I mean, living a life of power, living a life of victory. And I get so blessed when I see someone like Sean and so many others. The enemy thought that, you know, I'm going to take them down. I'm going to keep them there and they're going to die there. And God said, no. And then there was a day and somehow, you know, I know the Lord used his parents, his family, you turn for Christ, you name it. And he went and he discovered that God has so much more for him. And now he's living up there, like he's talking about right here in the, in the high hills of the earth. That's what God offers to us. And it's just so cool to see the youth and how they're coming out and they're being open. And little do they know the amazing things that God has for them. I was telling them, you know, um, there's a lot of exhilarating things you can do on earth. I think for me, I haven't gone out too much, but probably the most exciting thing I've ever done as far as that kind of stuff goes is whitewater rafting. Have you guys ever done whitewater rafting? It is awesome. We have to take the whole church whitewater rafting. Now, some of you might die, <laughs> but that's okay. When I went whitewater rafting, I got, you know, I got just catapulted out of the raft, and I'm floating down. I'm not floating down the river. I am just, you know, flying down the river. But they taught me how to do it legs first, and I was just thinking, okay, Lord, I might get hit by a rock or caught in a whirlpool or trees or whatever. But it was so fun, and it was a hot day, the water was, you know, cold and just, man, you're working together. And so there's a lot of things, I guess you could say, on earth that are exhilarating. Maybe a ride at Magic Mountain or maybe zip lining or jumping out of an airplane. I don't know. But let me tell you something. Nothing compared to the great adventure of serving Jesus Christ. That's the high hills. That's what he's talking. I'm not talking about high hills, you know, down here. <laughs> The high heels right there. This is what God has for us. And so the Lord says in verse 1, the next chapter, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So it's important for us to know this. When I was a brand new Christian, I had a friend and he would give me a verse and we would have to memorize it. We had a week to memorize it. And we did this for, for months and we learned a ton of verses. And this is one that he gave me, you know, that, that it's not that the Lord's hand is too you know, short that he can't reach us or his ear is too deaf or you know, dull that he can't hear us. It's that our sins... Are, they separate us from God. You know, like Psalm 68, uh, 66, 18, it says, if I regard or cherish or harbor iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so, again, we've got to make it clear, not that we have to be perfect, but, you know, if you're going to church service and you're looking at porn, and that's what you do at home, 
God, that you're, you're, you're creating a chasm between you and God. You know, you're, there's something in your life that you don't want to give up. I mean, is that better than God? Seriously. Oh, I'll just drink a little bit. You know, I got a beer here, a couple of beers there. And inside, you know, the Holy Spirit's been telling you, no. But you do it anyways. I mean, what if someone sees you? You're not blameless. All I know is that it, when they're, it's not worth it. I would not want to have God hide his face from me. I, I want him to hear. And so um, look what the Lord says. He gives more details on the specifics of their sins. He says, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with the iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. And so this was the weakening of a nation. Israel, who at one time, you know, under the reign of David and then Solomon, they were, they ruled the world. And they could have stayed there. But they, they lapsed in their commitment to God. Their hands were defiled with blood. Uh, and, and we see, he goes on to, to speak about the fingers and lips and tongues and all those things. And I was thinking about how that happens when we turn our back on God and then it makes it even worse as we continue uh, to digress in these things. I don't know if you guys knew murders. United States of America in the year uh, 2017, 500,000 people were murdered in United States of America. And I believe, you know, of course, because we turn our backs on God, but also because we have lost the sanctity of life. So that was in 2017. After COVID, it went up 34%. More murders. God sees that. That doesn't even count the children that are murdered in abortion. You know, we see this happening even in our own nation. You know, the, the hands that murder, the fingers. And you're like, well, how can you sin with your fingers on your phone? <laughs> On your computer? I mean, there's ways that we can sin with our fingers. We can sin with our lips. He says, you know, you tell lies. And then there's those tongues, those dirty tongues, perversities. He says in verse 5, they hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. So when they, you know, they crush the egg, out comes a viper. These are... Definitely not good things. Uh, of course, this is demonic influence. When you're talking about snakes, Jesus even mentioned these types of things in Matthew 12, 34, Matthew 23, 33. John the Baptist did as well in Matthew 3, 7. Um, it's just demonic what ends up happening. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves, he says in verse 6, with their works. And their works are, are works of iniquity. And the act of violence is in their hands. And so for us, just think, this is the United States of America. This is unfortunately where they are. You know, and they're not relaxed or complacent about it. 
There's an urgency we see in verse 7. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts, and there's again the thought life, our thoughts of wasting and destruction are in their past. The way of peace they have not known and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. And we're living in a world, man, you watch the news and, and like what's really going on in Congress or what's really going on? What's, what, what, is, what are they focusing on? They're focusing on their agenda. And they've got, you know, we've got to get this in the news and we have to focus on that issue with the president or whatever it might be. Is it for justice? No, it's because there is a narrative. There is a story. There is something that they're trying to accomplish. When God looks at United States of America, he sees all the money, the way that these lobbyists and and just, I mean, the, the, the things that are going on in the, in the courts and the bribes and all that kind of stuff, this is exactly what he sees. Therefore, he says in verse 9, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. Now notice here, you guys, it's interesting. It, previously in chapter 59, he was just saying, you and they, you and they. But now in verse 9, he's talking about we and us, we and us. So what's going on? Now they're coming to a place of admitting they have sinned. We have sinned. This is what we have done. And these are the consequences of it. And I'll tell you what, that's a good place to be. Where you hear from the Lord, hey, this is where you, you fell short, Manny. And, and this is what you've done wrong. And, and, I, and then I acknowledge it. You know, the, the Greek word, First John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, is homo logeo. Now, we know what homo means, right? It means the same. The same. And then logeo means word. And so when we say the same word about that behavior, that it's sin, then we've confessed our sins. And that's what confession is. Okay, Lord, I, I guess I shouldn't. You know, and again, I don't want to be a Pharisee or legalistic, but, you know, maybe you shouldn't be watching that movie. And the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And you're trying to justify it by saying, I'm good. It won't affect me. Maybe it'll affect your kids. Be careful. You know, we have to say the same thing about it that God says about it. He says, justice is far from us. Nor does righteousness overtake us. It's this us and we. We look for light, but there is darkness. For, for brightness, but we walk in, in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. Think about that. We are as dead men in desolate places. And I was thinking about John chapter 9, the religious leaders that were so blind. This can happen. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation or deliverance, but it is far from us. For our transgressions, and he's admitting it, are multiplied before you 
And our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for the truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. And remember, he's talking to Israel and so you kind of want to see it also as God talking to a society, God talking to the United States of America. And I thought it was interesting what he says there at the end of verse 14, truth is fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. And, and what that means is that the, the truth is no longer there. In one sense, you talk to people on the streets and that, you know, that whole, you know, ungodly section of society that seems to be increasing in numbers, there's no truth there. The, the truth fails. The truth is no longer there. And he who departs from evil, what he says right here, makes himself a prey. Or in other words, if you want to stand for righteousness, get ready. You will be attacked and so god said it just like it's happening today and so there that's what he says in verse 15 so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey and so you know what's the answer what's the answer for our society anybody know jesus say it louder jesus that's it that's what he says right here okay god says then the lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he, Jesus, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak According to their deeds and accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. And whenever Isaiah mentions the coastlands, basically he's saying the whole world. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, which is what we see happening today, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, what's a standard? It's a banner. It's a flag. And God says, boom, this earth is mine. That's what he says. When there's no man that can help, and we look to men, and of course we want good, whatever, leaders, politicians, but ultimately we know that the only one that can fix things is, is Jesus and that's what he says right here. And, and, you know, when the enemy comes in like a flood and he does that in our own lives, even personally, God says, no, I'm going to, by my Holy Spirit, I'm going to move. Look what he says in verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. And we know, of course, um, there's also an aspect of this speaking about Israel returning to God. And when will that happen? The tribulation period. They'll come back to the Lord. And so, verse 21, As for me, says the Lord, 
This is my covenant with them, with Israel. He's never going to give up on Israel. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. So how many of you guys have kids? You're like, okay, I'm going to claim that promise. (laughs) Grandkids? Okay, Lord, this one's for me.